This is a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. Hello and welcome to Bookworms. This is the book podcast from Fun Kids. My name is Bex and I've got loads of stuff to tell you about. In a little while, you can hear what happened when I had a chat with Sam Copeland. But first, this is what went down when Dan from The Afternoon Show spoke to Radzi Chinyangana about his brand new book. Now, lockdown and being stuck at home has made us completely change how we exercise, how we keep active. I want to help you out with that, and not just me. I've got an absolute... UK British TV legend to help us out as well. Um, he, he's written a book about why animals could help you keep fit and how they're inspiring you to do that. It's called Move Like a Lion. Uh, Radzi Chinyangana's with us. Radzi, how are you? Dan, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very, very well. Um, but I'm feeling, you know, a little bit restless, like I need to keep active. So with that in mind, in your, in your mind, which animal moves most impressively? That's a great question. Uh, probably the octopus, because I mean, the octopus has, it's an amazing creature. It has essentially eight mini brains that operate its legs independently. So imagine you're tying your shoelaces with one hand. You could be typing something, an email with your other hand, and you wouldn't be thinking about doing both of them at the same time. You'd have a brain that individually thinks about the task. And sometimes your legs would work in conjunction with each other together at the same time. So I'd say the octopus. Now, without taking you too far down this octopus road, if they've got eight mini brains, yes. how are they all kind of figuring out at the same time that they need to move together to get to one place? That's a good question. So it's, there's actually eight mini brains, but then one extra brain that acts like a big brain, like a CPU, like a, a computer processing unit. So that's like the big boss that organizes all of its eight minions to say, you, mister, you've got to go and tie Razzy's shoelaces. But you, madam, you've got to go and type Razzy's email. Now, I wish I had eight people that would do that. But unfortunately, I don't. I've just got my two hands. It's another beautiful example of some of evolution being wasted, I think. <laughs> this incredible bit of science, you know, nine brains pretty much. And it's a, kind of like a, 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 a bottom-dwelling sea monster. Uh, that is amazing and very, or very impressive. You could look at it as an enormous opportunity because this is, this is a, a creature that can fit through tunnels or tubes the size of a two-pence piece. So it might be big, it might be almost larger than our heads just with its head, but it can squash itself down into that. And they've even been known to bring down enormous ships. There have been documents that have been written. I've got to be honest, Dan, I wasn't expecting to talk about the history of the octopus, but I'm well up to this, I'm enjoying it. Well, lastly on the history of the octopus, because they are truly terrifying <laughs> creatures. And we've, we've slightly mentioned this on the show before. I think we've disproved it. But I don't know if you saw a news article a year or so ago where some experts think that octopuses come from outer space and they arrived here in water that was frozen on a meteorite. What? I love that. Out of interest, what's the plural of octopus? Is it octopuses? Is it octopi? I don't know. It's, it's not octopi. I think I read recently that that's been disproven. It might be octopodi. That is a great factoid right there. Octopodi. I mean, it's, it might not be right, but if you fancy it being a factoid, you can take it. Um, listen, so with that, if the octopus moves most impressively, yes. in your mind, having written a book about why we should move like animals, which yes. creature, uh, you can't say the sloth, 
which creature moves most boringly? I would say maybe the the marlin, perhaps. Now, the marlin is one of the fastest fish on planet Earth. But in terms of how it moves, it's a lot of bending and flexing. So it's very strong. It's unbelievably aerodynamic. Its eyesight has to be, we talked about brains, its brains have to be attuned to take in information that much quicker. So it is incredible, as all animals are, but in terms purely based on its movement, I'd say bending and flexing would be pretty dull. Yeah, pretty, pretty boring. Listen, there are so many different ways in how different animals move, and you have made a book about them to help inspire us to keep active. When was the first idea that the idea for this book came into your mind, Radzi? I remember growing up, I went to seven different schools, and so I was often used to being the new kid. And I knew that once I got to the end of break time, it would be okay, because your first break time, you're gonna choose football teams as we did, and I'm going to be chosen last because nobody knows if I'm any good or if I'm absolutely rubbish. And so I knew that I wouldn't be too bad. And so therefore, being good at sport kind of gave me value. It gave me a currency. It meant, oh, Radzi's the guy who's actually pretty good at this. So for me, I associated with sport with something that's good for me. But it wasn't until I worked on Blue Peter and went to so many different schools, I realized actually that isn't the same experience for everyone. And so I then approached a charity called the Youth Sport Trust, and they're all about getting young people active. And I said, I'd love to make something that would inspire young people to move more. And what we spoke about was, well, why don't we think about people not only that love sport already, but perhaps those that maybe think, hmm, it's not for me. I get a bit embarrassed when I do sport. I'm not very good at it. It makes my makeup run. It makes me get all sweaty. Um, and perhaps I'm not built for a particular sporting question so i thought right so i want to find something that's not competitive and that is totally inclusive and makes me feel welcome it makes you feel good when you do it and so i thought mm, well my mum has taught yoga for over 40 years i thought i'd love something like that but that 10 year old radzi would think that is awesome and i thought well it's either animals or superheroes surely and then i looked at animals and thought how many animals move so uniquely? And actually, superheroes, pretty much two legs, two arms for the most part. So I thought, let's definitely do animals. And so the idea over the last three years has slowly evolved, to use the word that you mentioned about octopus or octopodi um, earlier. And, and it, it turned into something this year when I thought, I'm going to do it. And then lockdown happened. And all of a sudden, it's found a real use because I think lots of people want to do stuff now. They want to move a little bit more. They don't necessarily know what they should do because they can't necessarily play with their friends in the same way. So that's where the idea came from. Now, moving, if you're not used to it, if you're not that active, if you aren't like you were going into these new schools, knowing that you could prove yourself on the pitch to help you out, um, it can be a bit of a slog. Getting started can be a real bit of a struggle. So aside from heart rate, and getting your yes. breath right. Um, what else are the, are the positives for someone starting on a, on a journey of, of being active? How does it make us more focused? How does it impact our concentration, Radzi? Okay, I'm going to start with the boring stuff. So yes. when we exercise, it's been proven to make us feel better. How does that happen? With the release of a thing called endorphins. So endorphins is how our body responds to suddenly moving. Because basically... Our bodies are going, I'm relaxed, I'm doing nothing. 
So I don't need to send any messages to my body to say everything's okay. But if I suddenly start moving, my oxygen levels change, my heart rate changes, and therefore my body's going to need to use different types of energies to thrive. Because traditionally, if you suddenly run when we were, say, cavemen, it's probably because you're in a dangerous situation. So our bodies have learned to give us messages to say, it's okay, you can keep on going. But that's a cheat code, basically, because now it means that when we move, we feel really good. And that's been proven to help concentration levels in the classrooms. That's the boring part of it. But for me, this book is, the reason I am very proud of this book, it's in three parts, it's like a sandwich. We've got the two pieces of bread, we've got the one piece which is, the wake-up routine, which is basically stretching, getting your body ready for the day. Well, the other piece of bread, which is the settling down routine, which is where one for each day of the week to imagine you being in a really unique environment, like a forest or a mountainous area. What would you see? What would you hear? To allow us to relax. But the filling is all the different animals that you can move like. And it doesn't mean you're doing 552 press-ups. It means simply, in some cases, you might stand on one leg and move like a flamingo because that's what they do. They just stand on one leg. So some of the movements are really actually not challenging at all. One is literally rolling on your back like a dog, a dog roll. Why? Because it's fun to roll on your back, especially when you're going downhill. So those might be much easier ones, but then there are more challenging ones as well. And the aim is not to change how you look, but to change how you feel. And actually getting off your sofa and moving your arms for maybe 10 seconds could be enough to make you feel a little bit better. So actually, Dan, the whole thing is, I didn't want people to think, I don't fancy sweating. I don't fancy putting my pee kit on. I fancy just sitting here or even standing up on one leg is one of those moves. You're talking about uh, why we run to get away from cavemen and evolution. Running is one of the things that put us humans right at the top of the food chain because other creatures would overheat. They wouldn't be able to breathe brilliantly and they'd get worn out. Whereas us humans, we could run, we could chase, we could go all day and eventually we'd get our supper. Um, now, you mentioned a few of the, 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 the way animals move and how we can do that. What about some of the more challenging ones, Radzi? Uh, how can we move like animals that maybe is a little bit tricky? Practice. Now, in this book, I've, what, so it was actually a real challenge for me because I want you to imagine that you're looking at an animal. So you then got to imagine how could I as a human try to move like that? So that was my first challenge for this book. Second challenge, I have an amazing illustrator called Francesca Rosa and she was going to help to bring my book to life, my ideas to life. So then... I had to communicate to Francesca how I would, as a human, move to move like an animal. And then she had to interpret that and, in her mind, imagine what that would look like and then draw that. And so we went back and forth and said, oh, do you mind adding this? Or do you mind taking away that? And I, I could not believe how good a job she did. And so for me, there was a lot of me going, hmm, a scorpion. Okay, so a scorpion's got a tail. We don't have tails but I wonder if I could pretend that one of my legs were a tail. Mm, okay. And I would get on my hands and knees and try and move like it. And I'd write it down. I'd say, mm, I'm not happy about that. I think I need to change that slightly. And so another element of this is imagination. So of course we're limited in that we have one head, two, two arms, two legs, if we're lucky enough to have those. And many animals don't have that. So we're making an adaptation. We're using our imagination, but 
if you find your own way of doing it even better please take a picture and send it in to me because I'd love to see that there's loads more animals that you can be inspired to move like in the brand new book it's Move Like a Lion by Radzi Chinyangana it's out right now from DK Radzi do you want to end end this interview on a really boring thing (laughs) go on I love boring stuff then you remember I said it's Octopody (laughs) yes it's not Octopody do you want to know what the plural of octopus is this isn't boring I really want to know According to the Oxford Dictionary, the plural of octopus is octopuses. Ah, oct- that's a bit disappointing. I know. Occasionally still octopodes, which is a little bit better, but octopi is incorrect. Thank you. You see, that, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. So we're not ending on a boring thing at all, because actually, when I was young, I used to think lots of things in school were boring, but that was only because I was told what part of it I had to learn. And it's not until becoming an adult, I think... I really like history. I really like politics. I really like science. Just think that you have got your own podcast because of a subject like science, which when you're at school, you think, I don't want to do my science homework. I don't want to do my biology homework. I don't want to do my physics homework. But you're able to speak to so many people throughout the country because of a passion that could have started in school. I think it's awesome. Amazing. And look, if I see you on BBC One, BBC Two soon, and you use the word octopuses... I know where you found it. Rads. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, mate. Thank you, buddy. Oh, massive thanks to Radzi. His book looks immense. I cannot wait to get my teeth into it. Uh, Next up, this is what happened while I had a little chat with Sam Copeland. Now, you might know Sam as the author of Charlie Changes Into a Chicken, but did you know he's got a brand new book out? It's Uma and the answer to absolutely everything. And this is what happened when he told me all about it. We welcome back to Fun Kids, uh, the author, Sam Copeland. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you doing? Well, you know what? I've been waiting for this book for a long time, so I'm very excited to have you back at Fun Kids. That's great. I've been waiting for this book for a long time as well. (laughs) What's it been like? Because obviously you've uh, previously written uh, Charlie Changes into a Chicken, he turned into a T-Rex, he morphed into a mammoth, but this book has come out in a bit of a different circumstance. I guess you've written it uh, and brought it out in kind of lockdown. What's it been like? Has it been different? Well, I mean, actually, I wrote it some time ago, so I didn't write it in lockdown. Um, I haven't actually written books in lockdown, um, but this book was written some time ago. But yes, it is being published in complete lockdown. The shops aren't open. Schools aren't open. So it's going to be a a very different, um, very different publication. But it's going into schools that I will I will really miss. That's the that's the that's the real disappointment for me. Oh, you're one of those authors who likes to do the whole big assembly and to go around the classrooms and stuff. Well, funnily enough, when I first got told I was getting a publishing deal, the, the, the thing I was most dreading, the thing I was most scared about was going into schools and facing 250 children in an assembly. <laughs> and actually, it turns out that's the bit I love the most now. There's nothing more uh, exciting and fun for me than, than being faced with, with, with 300 screaming children. I always find it interesting because, um, as you, you may remember, I do a little quiz where the first yes. time I meet authors, I do a quick fire round of questions. Oh, and, yes, yes. Yeah, and a lot of authors, uh, when I say, would you rather do a school tour or a bookshop visit, they're like, yeah, school tour, I love it. And I'm always like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, there's no contest. There's no contest. A school tour is, is the most fun you can possibly have. It's brilliant. Oh, man. Well, it's a shame you can't tour uh, schools with this book. This is Uma and the answer to absolutely everything, because it is a it's a big old epic adventure. And you've got a brand new character in the world as well. Yeah, well, yeah, there's quite quite a few new characters in there, actually. 
um, um, more friends that, uh, that I've made for myself. <laughs> is that secretly why you write books, just to write people you'd like to be friends is. with? I mean, for me, one of the keys of um, writing good characters is if, um, if at the end of it, I, I feel I miss them in some way. And um, yeah, they do become my friends, which sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but it's true. No, I love it. Because um, Uma is quite a... She's gone through a lot and um, she's also quite a lovely and exciting character to, to have in your life. And of course, she's got Alan Allen as well, um, who is slightly less uh, brave, shall we say, but equally important. <laughs> and they meet uh, a kind of a Bluetooth headpiece kind of character. Can you tell us what is going on here? Yes. Well, Uma discovers an AI and an AI is an artificial intelligence. It's a bit like Alexa or Siri, which we're all used to now. But um, this AI can answer almost any question in the world. You know, when you ask Alexa a question and Alexa turns around and goes, I'm sorry, I can't answer that (laughs) question. I don't know. Um, Well, 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 Athena, that's the AI in this book, can answer any question in the world. Because we're used to Alexa knowing a lot of stuff, but to know everything is... uh, Athena brings a whole new level of intelligence. Well, it came from um, when we first got an Alexa. My son kept asking questions, kept asking it questions, which I knew it it could never answer. It could never answer. (laughs) Like, he'd say, like, what am I... Alexa, what am I holding behind my back? (laughs) Or, Alexa, what colour are my underpants? And Alexa was constantly like, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that question. And that started the idea of, like, what happens if she could answer these questions? What happens if she did know everything? Now, the, the thing that kind of slightly freaked me out about Athena is that she she kind of has a personality. She's not just a robot. She does actually have... Um, you can tell she's developing kind of thoughts and feelings for herself. That's one of the joys for me, is a character to just discovering itself. Yeah, I. you say it was joy for you. For me, reading it, I was like, oh, my God, robots are going to take over the world, reading this through, like, is Athena um, going to take over? No. I mean, they probably will do, but um, <laughs> not for a while yet. Oh, fingers crossed. As long as I'm not replaced too soon, that'd be quite nice. Um, so <laughs> robo, in the book, you've... robo presenter. <laughs> <laughs> robo Bex. To be fair, don't tell the bosses. They'll probably, they'll probably do that immediately if they could. Joking yes. aside, how long will it be before we have an artificial intelligence written book. <gasps> Sam Copeland, what are you doing to me? What? That's, How long do you reckon we will? Be? I think in my lifetime we will, yes. Because, of course, you are, you're an agent as well, so you, you must have your ear to the ground with this knowledge. Do you think there's a book already kind of like half-written somewhere? People are tinkering away with a, a kind of a, a robotic David Walliams or an Honestly, Android Jacqueline the, Wilson? The, the, the sooner I can fire all my authors <laughs> and just employ a robot, the better. Um, um, I, I do think, I mean, we are somewhere away yet, but I do think, yes, at some point in my lifetime, we will have computers who are able to write stories. Yes. I guess it comes back to that thing of giving monkeys typewriters if they write Shakespeare. Yeah, Yeah, kind of. I was was entirely forget the actual phrasing of that word, but it has the key words in there, you know, monkeys, typewriter, Shakespeare. In your book as well, you've got quite a dastardly villain, a kind of Cruella de Vil-esque character. Yes, I mean, it's always fun to write a villain. Mm -hmm. And I had great fun creating, creating Stella Dorr. She's, um, she's deliciously evil. 
Yeah, so in the, in the book, we should explain to the listeners, I guess, um, there is a company who are trying to take over the village that, uh, that your characters all live in. And there's a kind of also hidden thought that there might be some treasure somewhere in the village as well. And it's up to the gang to kind of save the day, essentially. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There, there is, is a race against time to try and find... Uh, well, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, it's a race against time to, to stop the villains taking over the village and, and, and taking over the world, essentially. You also heavily feature alpacas. Uh, any, any reason for that? It's just that your love of animals coming back in? Absolutely no idea why I included alpacas. <laughs> um, I think I started with llamas and then I decided that uh, um, alpacas were funnier than llamas. No, alpacas, you're right. They are They are very... They're just... My friends uh, run an alpaca farm, actually, so I, oh, I know what you okay. mean. Yeah. You also include footnotes as well, which is like a classic Sam Copeland trait. Uh, is it quite yeah. fun to add little footnotes in the bottom as well? I do enjoy that. Um, it, it, it's a way to add just a little bit more humour and depth and fun and interest in, into into the story. It, it, because there's sometimes when you're writing something, um, you think there's no way I can insert this into the story. But then I go, ah, no, oh, no, that's a, that's a way of doing it. Um, so they're just little little bonuses, really. It is. It makes it. I mean, your books are always really funny, but it kind of adds um, an extra, more knowing level of humour, I guess. But also, as well as your books being funny, you do have those quite touching moments, and you do, you do um, write moments that uh, I'm not ashamed to say almost made me cry, which I was furious at, Sam. So, um, <laughs> do you think it's important to have the happy and the sad bits together? I think, for me personally, yes. I need um, I need to have humour in my story, and I need to have emotional depth. So. Absolutely, the two for, for, for me the two go go hand in hand, indeed. And actually, humour is one of the best ways of dealing, as we've talked about before, one of the best mm. ways of dealing with with hard times. Um, and hard times do they, they come in everybody's life? You can never avoid them, and humour can absolutely uh, uh, help you through those 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 dark times. Yeah, for sure. And and in the book, it just it's really it kind of helps you appreciate the good bits and the bad bits even more because you've got the the humour to kind of see through, I guess. Um, yeah. I also wanted to ask, and this is probably the most obvious question, but I genuinely am interested with Athena. Obviously, she knows everything in the world. What would you ask Athena if you could ask her anything at all? I think I would I would ask her, um, does do any of the world governments know that that, that uh, have there been aliens on the, on the planet? Oh, that's a good question. Mine um, was much more boring. Mine was, what is the perfect banana bread recipe? So you have, uh, you've really gone global. What, of all the questions <laughs> you could ask an all-knowing AI, <laughs> an all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient computer, you would ask it a banana bread recipe. <laughs> I just really like cake and I've been struggling to get the perfect one. So I just figured <laughs> Athena of all people or robots would know, right? Do you know what? I've actually got a very good banana bread recipe. I'll share it with you after. Send it my way, Sam. My goodness. The one I made was very I stodgy. Will. My dad refused to eat it. Um, as, as lo- I'll share it with you as long as you can share with me whether aliens actually exist. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you my notes. I've got research on it. It's fine. Don't worry about okay, it. Okay, great. Um, I also got to say, uh, with Athena, I was surprised they didn't tap her up for more sweets. Um, if I had been Uma, I would have absolutely rinsed all of the capacity for chocolate and sweets. Are you joking? They get an absolute... They order a massive crate, and they eat so many that they are actually sick. I mean, yeah, how many how many sweets can you eat? 
you don't know me, Sam. I, I've got a <laughs> quite a sweet chocolatey tooth. I would have probably asked for like one every day, one delivery a day. And but this, hey, this cr- this crate of sweets that they order is so big, it has to be brought in by helicopter. I did enjoy that little note. Yes, when the, the kind of chopper comes in. Well, hey, look, I would have pre- I would have preferred my garden to be stacked with sweets. Literally every day, I would have probably eaten through them. Um, so I'd need more and more deliveries. But uh, yeah, your characters are just um, healthier than I am. I would say. <laughs> Slightly. Um, But no, the book is really fun. Are we uh, expecting another kind of Charlie situation where we're going to get a few more books from Uma? Or do you have other characters that you're just desperate to get out there in the world? Um, I've actually just finished a totally different new book. Oh. So, um, of which I can reveal nothing because I'm nervously waiting to hear from my editor as to whether it's any good or not. I was was kind of hoping there that I was going to give you a little space to see if you were going to drop some clues but nothing nothing at all no well i will say okay i'll say it's about ghosts oh that's kind of made it made me annoyed because that sounds quite exciting and i want to know more but um i'll take that for now sam i'll take that i'll take the ghost okay um so we should say uma and the answer to absolutely everything is out right now and uh, i know bookshops are are closed right now but um i think lots of places are doing online deliveries and and stuff like that so there's lots of places to still get your books from Absolutely, absolutely. Independence, Waterstones, wherever. It's great. Brilliant stuff. Thanks so much, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's always great. It's always great coming on. Thank you. Just a little reminder, every episode of Bookworms features our very special book of the month. This month we have picked the book from Roman Kemp and Vic Hope. It's called Shout Out and it's the second book in their series. It's such a fun adventure series, all about a group of friends getting together and helping each other out. And we want to know if you've read it. If you have, drop me a line, go on the Fun Kids website and say hello to me. That's funkidslive.com. Tell me if you're reading our book of the month or tell me what other book you're reading as well. That's pretty much it for the Bookworms podcast this week. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Remember, rate, review and subscribe and we will see you again super soon. Bye. So that was a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com.